Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Banking in Transition, a podcast from The Banker. I'm John Everington, The Banker's Middle East and Africa editor. Today, I'm talking to Ziad Idris, Chief Executive Officer at Algebra, a new challenger bank run on Islamic principles due to launch here in the UK later this year. Ziad, thank you very much for joining us today. John, thank you very much for having me. Islamic banking, as we've discussed in recent issues, has become increasingly established and sophisticated um, in the past decade or so. Um, But despite this, Islamic banks have struggled to make significant inroads into markets with significant Muslim populations beyond the sort of the core Islamic banking markets of Southeast Asia and the GCC in the Middle East. Um, It'd be really good to get some reflections on why this is. Uh, What do you think has been holding back um, the rise of Islamic banking in places like UK and Europe and and beyond? Thank you very much for that question, John. I think it's a very interesting point. And I think sometimes what is worth um, appreciating is where the conventional finance system and where the Islamic financial uh, system or Islamic banking, um, you know, started, started to emerge. And as you said, it's really over the last few decades. So where is Islamic finance in its journey is very important to to appreciate. Um, And I think what Islamic banking has been good at to some extent is establishing itself as an as an industry, as a space, as a sector. Um, But what it hasn't been good at, uh, as I think you've also pointed out, is necessarily succeeding in 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 a major and scalable way. So you know, it's we we see these we see these big numbers of you know the trillions of dollars that that are sit in Islamic banking assets. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we hear about the sukuks that are being issued, but in actually in the grand scheme, when you look at these things, um, they're still very small numbers compared to the potential size uh, of the market. And I think there's there's two elements, um, two or three elements at play here. One element is the fact that um, you know as a, as a as an intellectual construct, Islamic banking, um, let's say over the last 30, 40 years, has, has still being, uh, was still being formed and, and constructed to some extent, um, you know, as, as the kind of the modern financial system emerged uh, as well. And then I think um, in that sense, it naturally started to focus first on its, on its core markets and more perhaps on institutional and wholesale markets. And what mm-hmm. it hasn't been very good at is diversifying the product base, um, even when it comes to institutional products, um, let alone when it comes to consumer face on the consumer facing side. So I think when we look at where it is in its journey, you know, you could say that that was Islamic banking, you know, maybe 1.0 or 2.0. And I think now with digital finance, there's really the opportunity to, to kind of emerge into Islamic banking 3.0. Um, and I think, uh, I, th- I think, a, I think a part of a part of the, the the challenge it has had is because it's such an intellectual and academic construct, it hasn't really been taken on by um, by other uh, industry players in a in a major way. And I think there's still a lot of still a lot of room for it to be supported through policy. Still a lot of room for it to be supported um, th- through the industry uh, as well. I do see a a change, and I think there is really an opportunity in that sense to um, to, to to really start doing things quite differently. As, as we merge into Islamic banking 3.0. Here within the UK, for example, you do have you do have quite a few entrants who've come from from the core markets such as the GCC, who have launched their sort of their propositions here, targeting kind of Muslim populations here within the within the UK, but still haven't gotten so much traction. Do you have any reflection as to why that might be? 
when we look at how the, the Islamic Bank of Britain was founded in the UK, I think that's an interesting case study to look at because it eventually got acquired by Al Riyan in uh, which which comes from Qatar. Mm-hmm. And I think if we if we look at the 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 way that that business evolved, and I think if and, and I think this is true by the way generally of Islamic banks um, in in their domestic markets as well. Um, because there is a lot of low-hanging fruit, um, because these markets are, let's say, so rich in opportunity, um, they don't need to necessarily innovate or work too hard to uh, to make a return. And I think if you ask any financials analyst at a Morgan Stanley or at a Goldman Sachs, they'll tell you that Islamic banking is extremely profitable. Um, that, that's that's what's mm-hmm. interesting about it. And what what why is that important? Because I think what what you've seen is the Islamic banks that have come into places like the UK, such as Riyadh, um, they've actually focused on a higher net worth customer as opposed to focusing on the mass market and being able to serve the, the, you know, the, the mass affluent population of Muslims in the UK. And I think that's where they could have done better. And that's, that's where I think Islamic Finance 3.0 um, can really do much better. You have the likes of Masraf al Rayyan uh, coming in to the UK, but then you also have Within this space, you have this sort of this this new round of startups, the likes of Nia, the likes of Inshah, um, Wahid Invest, uh, yourselves. With the the comments that we just discussed in terms of strategy beforehand, I mean, where do you think? Um, I mean, how how do you think you'll succeed um, in this space where others have had less success? Would you say what's the sort of what's the crucial thing in Islamic banking 3.0 as you describe it? I think first of all the approach. And where does where does the Islamic finance and Sharia piece fit within the, the proposition? And really, what is the value proposition? I think that is a really important point. And I think if, if Islamic banking 3.0 is only going to be the same as the bricks and mortar version of Islamic banking, but then digitized, then I don't think it's really going to add value um, mm-hmm. personally. And that's where I think algebra can really be different in many, many different ways. On the one hand, uh, from a technology and architecture perspective, I think um, it needs to be built from the ground up to truly be able to develop products and services that your customers need and want, um, as opposed to something that is perhaps built off of a, off a, off of a white label approach. Um, so I think that's a major differentiating factor for in terms of what we're doing at algebra. The other aspect of it is, as, as actually kind of you've, we've, we've alluded to earlier, is the industry is quite academic. And I'll, um, John, I know you're an Arabic speaker, so uh, so you'll have an appreciation for my Shreesh what I'm about to say. <laughs> so if you if you look at a lot of the Islamic banking products, they're called things like murabaha and mudaraba and ijara and musharaka and and so on and so forth. And I mean, if you're not a fluent Arabic speaker and someone who's studied Islamic finance, you won't understand what any of this means. So actually, I think that the, the, the product base has been too complex um, on one hand. And I think on the other hand as well, it's been trying to focus too much only on the Islamic consumer, as if that alone is enough of a value proposition. So algebra, we believe in kind of taking more of a the Nando's of fintech approach, <laughs> if you like, and I'll, I'll explain what that means. Um, you know, if you look at a restaurant like Nando's in the UK, um, it's very good at serving a very diverse uh, population of people from different backgrounds, different income levels. Um, it's, it's created a really nice middle ground for itself. And it happens to be that many of the branches are halal. 
um, and, and are therefore able to attract the 4.2 million customers, uh, additional customers of, 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 of you know, 4.2 million Muslims in the UK, that's because they've made the product compliant with that, with, that, with, with that group. And I think that's the approach that is really important in terms of not creating a product that is exclusive only to Muslims, um, creating something that has a lot more commonality with a much more uh, with a much more universal uh, appeal, and and how can we do that? Well, we believe there's a huge rise um, today in values-based um, and ethical-based uh, consumerism, um, and if you think about the importance of the environmental impact, sustainability, and governance, and within that framework it would make a lot of commercial sense to also include faith-based compliance. And that's where we see as Sharia compliance sitting in. So it's, it's, differentiating, it's differentiating ourselves in terms of technology, differentiating ourselves in terms of the product base and actually the simplicity of the products um, that we provide, products that people actually need and building them for the market uh, in, a, in a bespoke manner. Uh, and, and thirdly, being able to appeal to a much broader crowd because we don't believe that something being halal or something being Sharia compliant alone um, is the way to approach it. And I think we, we need to create a much more universal appeal through that. And all the market research that we've done um, and all of the behavioral science work that we've done around this also shows that Muslim consumers do not want to be othered, they want to be included. And I think that's a very important differentiating factor in terms of how, how, how algebra goes about this. So far, algebra has um, raised 3.75 million in fundraising, um, backed by SFC Capital, amongst others. And um, I think it's working towards a, a launch towards the end of this year or in early next. And I think the UK is your first market that you're planning to, to launch services. Is that, is that right? We believe that the, the, the UK is, a, is, is, is ripe um, in, in many ways. I mean, if we look at our minimum viable market, as I said, we're looking for a much more universal appeal. But um, if we even just look at the minimum viable market here in the UK, the, the, the Muslim population is very young in the UK and it's very fast growing. Um, so, the, so the biggest block of the 4.2 million tend to be second or third generation um, Muslims. Um, and, you know, they kind of sit in that 20 to 40 age bracket. Um, so it's a very, very ripe uh, market for, for, for fintech and for um, you know, for, for adoption of, of, of these types of services. And what I think we're trying to provide is to pro provide a product that is very competitive um, when it comes to uh, features, services, um, and, and pricing that also happens to fit this, this consumer's um, faith needs. And I think we're very lucky here in the UK, we have one of the most diverse or the most diverse Muslim population of anywhere on the planet, in fact. So the UK is actually a great place for us to begin. Now it's going to be very interesting to see uh, when the launch comes and what kind of impact you can make. Uh, Ziad, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today and all the very best in the, in the coming months. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for listening to this episode of Banking Transition. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify and Acast and find plenty more audio and video content at thebanker.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.